0: Hello and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hey everyone. Today we are doing the 1983 action thriller, dramatic action thriller, Uncommon Valor. This was one of the first of three action movies that came out in 83, 84, and 85 that were all about going back into Vietnam, and bringing back POWs and missing in action soldiers. This was the first of those. Uh, what came next would be Missing in Action starring Chuck Norris, which bears similarities to this film. And then after that would, of course, be Rambo First Blood Part Two, which, aside from the plot, doesn't have many similarities to this film. It's almost like a natural progression from Uncommon Valor to Missing in Action, True Rambo. Yeah. First blood part show. And I, you know, kinda of missed out on this movie for a few years simply because, you know, as a kid, you see a movie titled Uncommon Valor, that doesn't mean anything to you. No. You may know what the word uncommon means, but you probably don't know what valor means. And even if you kinda of did, that it still doesn't like you know, it's like, okay, it's uncommon valor. I don't I don't know what that is. And since it didn't star your typical action movie heroes, like, you know, Stallone or Schwarzenegger or even, say, Harrison Ford, I think for years I didn't even realize it was an action movie until I was flipping through a book. I think it was a book about war films, and this one was, of course, towards the end of it. And I see this picture of Gene Hackman and... uh Reb Brown and Fred Ward, and they're all holding these machine guns. And I'm like, oh, that looks like it's probably a cool movie. And Uncommon Valor, well, I got to check that one out. And yeah, it's been a favorite ever since. I want to say it was probably early to mid-90s when I finally saw it. So the movie had been out a good 10 years at that point. It stars Gene Hackman, not normally an action movie guy. Uh, Robert Stack, supporting role for Robert Stack. Uh, I would say the three, well, let's say the four main cast members would be Gene Hackman, Fred Ward, Red Brown, and Randall Cobb. Uh, oh, well, and you can't leave out Swayze. Of course, no. Patrick Swayze, this is an early role for him. You know, one of his early entries into the action genre himself. And then we also have Tim Thomerson, as well as Harold Sylvester. And if you recognize Harold Sylvester, it's probably from his recurring role in the later seasons of Married with Children, where he played Griff working in the shoe store with Al. Basically, another one of Al's cronies, along with uh, Jefferson and their whole no ma'am shenanigans
1: right but he i mean aside from jefferson who who uh replaced what steve i think after season three or whatever um i think he might have been the most recurring character on the show uh as one of like the side characters he was like one of the more prominent ones because like he, as you said you worked with L, so you saw him a fair bit and um it probably would have taken me a little bit to to remember that because it's been a while since I've seen my Mar- with children but you know as soon as you see him it's like oh I know him but I'm not like I recognize the voice I know him I know him or something and then uh of course yeah you you had mentioned um you know al in the shoe store and it's like oh yes uh absolutely so yeah the movie takes place in the
0: in 1983 well most of it takes place in 93 there's is- it starts off in 72. Yeah. It goes through, but the basic plot is Gene Hackman and Robert Stack both have sons who were missing in action at the end of the Vietnam War. And Gene Hackman in particular has spent many, many years, you know, bothering. He, he's a colonel himself in the United States Marines, and he spends a – many of his years searching for his son and and trying going to congress and Congress and saying you know we got to do something about the mias and the pows that are still in vietnam and of course there's all the denials that there's anybody there or that we're we're in negotiations with the vietnam this is one of those the government ain't doing it we got to do it ourselves so the movie opens with it's 1972 vietnam And we see a platoon of, I believe they're Marines. I believe they they make specific mention that they are. Yeah, because they're uh, Marine Force Recon, I believe.
1: Well, uh, Patrick Swayze is, but you you make a point. I'm not sure if I ever know, if I knew for sure uh, if they were um, Marine or not, but it would make sense. Yeah,
0: because... Uh, Hackman, he's a Marine, and he says it's a family business, basically. Right, right, right. So it would make some sense that his son is in the Marine Corps as well. So anyways, we we see these Marines um, evacuating to helicopters under heavy gunfire and heavy mortar fire. And, you know, lots of them are going down and being killed. They're struggling to get on the choppers. Uh, A bunch of the characters we will see throughout the film Red Brown, uh, Fred Ward, Randall Cobb and and several other Marines have made it to a chopper and at this point um, we see a Marine get shot and go down and another Marine picks him up throws him over his shoulder and they're running for the chopper one of the helicopters gets blown up by mortar fire so they realize they, they have our range we gotta go and the pilot makes the decision. He's got to leave with who he's got. And they, they take off with several Marines, just like trying to make it for the chopper. And, and they're unfortunately left behind. And I think it's important to note that the character Randall Cobb is playing is really having to be restrained. He's trying to get back off the chopper to help pull those guys on board. And that obviously stuck with the character which we will get to when when we get to that part. Because it then cuts to Gene Hackman and basically a montage of several years of him, not only, like I said, going to Congress and, you know, approaching people in politics and actually going over to Thailand, searching for his son. You know, he's he's spending all this money, he's following leads, People are bringing him pictures they claim are his son. I smuggled it out of Laos. That's your son. Pay me money. There are some people taking advantage of him. And, you know, there's missionaries that are over there trying to help him. But it's not really getting him anywhere. After many years, he meets an old friend who's still in the military who presents him with this aerial photograph. And he shows them this rice patty. And the crops have been formed into three number ones. And that, as far as they're concerned, is because the son was in the uh, 11th division of the first. It was basically. Yeah, his, it
1: was his unit. But I can't remember. I can't remember exactly how it worked out either. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it was his unit designation. And that's what they considered to be proof of life. And that there are American POWs there trying to signal somebody that we're still here, we're still alive. So this is finally evidence that he decides that is actionable. And he goes and starts recruiting his son's former uh, squad mates. First, he goes to Reb Brown, who's now, you know, a surfer dude, you know, and he, he... Reb Brown's character Blaster is an explosive expert, and of all the characters we will see in this movie, he is the one that has um, probably adjusted best to civilian life after the war.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's
0: you know he's hanging out with kids, telling them daring surfer stories, and when Gene Hackman approaches him to say like I think we f- I found my son, will you come help me? He immediately says yes and. Joins the team. Next, he goes for Fred Ward, who is suffering from, you know, post traumatic stress disorder, particularly from an incident where he was exploring a Vietnamese tunnel network. And in the dark, he ended up stabbing two people. And then there's an explosion that buried him alive for several hours until his team were able to dig him out and those spread several hours he spent lying there with the corpses of the people he killed there's more to that story but i want to leave i always want to leave something for the people who have never seen the movie to experience themselves
1: Right. When we first see him, um, we get the sense that obviously he's not so um, gung ho about coming back or is at least conflicted and dealing with something. But um, you get the you get the implication at first that it's mostly his wife, rightfully not wanting him to, uh, you know, go back, knowing what the colonel, you know, somewhat has in mind, if not exactly what he has in mind. Uh, But you don't really find out the depth of it until a bit later.
0: No, no. His wife, played by Jane Kaczmarek. Yeah, that's right. Jane Kaczmarek. Who most people uh, yeah. will know from the mom is in Malcolm in the Middle. You know, she's she won't even let him see Fred Ward. And it's true, I, I, you get the impression it's really true reason. Because Fred Ward does not want to go back. Uh, and of course, she doesn't want him to go back. But even more so, I think Fred Ward knows that if he actually sees Gene Hackman,
1: he will cave. He'll and, cave.
0: And join the team, which is exactly what happens.
1: Right. Right. And you also wonder I mean, you, you know, there, you imagine there could be yet another layer where it's like, well, fine, if I do go back, can I even do it? You know, will I be yes. on my ability? So the third member of the team
0: uh, takes a little bit, a little bit harder to find. He's the um, character of the movie as well as my uh, Whip Bissell Award winner, played by former pro boxer, former pro kickboxer, Tex Randall Texcock.
1: He's my choice as well, yeah.
0: Um, he plays a character named Sailor, not because he was in the Navy, but because he had the habit of, while being in Vietnam, yes. just taking you know random pills, and he went sailing.
1: Right, yes. He, he went on many trips, yes. Yes, and he
0: also had... He always carried a hand grenade around his neck, and he always said people, why do you wear the hand grenade around your neck? Well, because if this life in Vietnam gets bad, I'm just going to pull the pin and see what happens next. See
1: what happens next, yes. It's great. It's, 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 it's conflicting, because on the one hand, it's, it's, it's compelling. On the other hand, it's very dark.
0: And and Sailor is... um." kind of a spacey character he's he's both yeah. you know while he he wants to be zen he wants right. to be kind of you know hippie stream of consciousness you know expand your mind but he's also he's he's, he's obviously a very damaged person as well
1: yeah he's he's got anger issues yeah
0: he's, he's got anger issues and He is very gung ho about getting on the team because I think he carries with him that vision of the helicopter lifting off, you know, survivor's guilt and looking into the eyes of those Marines who were running for that copter and didn't make it on board.
1: Well, plus his other option is, is, I mean, he's in prison, apparently. Um, Yeah, but
0: he's in prison for his own protection.
1: For his own protection, right. Uh, But that's what I'm saying is basically, I I don't think he wants this to be his legacy. You know, no, he knows he, you know, that's that's not him.
0: And he's obviously a wanderer. Right. You know, whether, you know, homeless because he doesn't have a home. But, you know, much like Rambo. And I'm not sure Kochef. he'd
1: know what to do with it. Yeah, no. He's right.
0: he's and that's what they, you know, he was hard to find because he's obviously just been wandering the country. Right. Um, and before I forget, we should also point out this movie was directed by Ted Kocheff, who directed First Blood. Yeah, what like a year earlier, I guess. Yeah, one well, this would—I believe this is the next his follow-up to First Blood. It's a good follow-up. Yeah, yeah, and it shows that if he wanted to, they could have had him direct Rambo: First Blood Part Two as well. Yep. So those are the three former squad mates of <laughs> his. His son. He also has to bring, get some helicopter pilots because the plan requires three helicopters. Gene Hackman himself can pilot a helicopter. And Tim Thomerson, also a Vietnam veteran chopper pilot, and I believe, it's hard to tell, but I think he plays the chopper pilot who takes off at the beginning of the movie, who makes the decision, we gotta go. But they never bring that up. And when you see that pilot at the beginning of the movie, he's wearing sunglasses and has a helmet on. It could be Tim and It could be somebody completely different.
1: Right. Like, I, I was always under the assumption that it was him because I just figured, you know, he must have been there at the beginning somewhere. So he was presumably in there. But, um, yeah, I, I guess it's hard to confirm. Yeah.
0: And then the other
1: Chopper pilot is
0: played by Harold Sylvester, who has the distinguished service cross for heroically... Piloting his whole helicopter in Vietnam, at a straight, <laughs> excuse me, and pulling soldiers' butts out of the fire. You know, choppers were going down, men were being killed, and he went above and beyond and flew his helicopter in to rescue people. So that's what, and and he does at first doesn't want to go either, but that's what uh, Hackman uses as kind of his his uh, pressures, like you know, you did it before, you're the te- just exactly the man I need to do what we're doing now. So with his team together, um, one of his, uh, Hackman's friend, played by Robert Stack, is a rich oil tycoon.
1: Right. So we get and, our answer now as to how this is all being funded. Yes. Yeah, they have to answer that.
0: And his son was in... Um, The same was one of those ones left behind.
1: It turns out. If I remember right, wasn't he the one that um, Gene Hackman's son was carrying?
0: Yes, he was the one Gene Hackman's son was carrying and couldn't make to the chopper. So he's been funding all this, and they have built a replica of the Vietnamese prison camp that they've gotten pictures of. They've built a replica of this in, in Texas where they will now train for the rescue of the I'm M.I.A.s. I don't know why I can't get that one. Right.
1: Yeah. M.I.A.s, yeah.
0: M.I.A.s. Uh, now, uh, this is also where we meet yet another member of the team played by Patrick Swayze. Yeah, very early role for him. And Swayze was just, because now, remember, this is 10 years after Vietnam, mm-hmm. and none of these guys have been, you know, still in the military so Swayze is a person just recently discharged from the marine force recon who is going to get them back in fighting condition train them in the the most current you know combat tactics and weaponry and at first is not only just resentment like who is this kid to train us you know we're a unit We've actually been to Vietnam. We've actually been in combat. combat. Who is this kid? And um, Swayze plays it very by the book drill instructor. You know that typical. You know, a lot of attitude and a lot of you know talking down to, which just doesn't go over well with them. And at one point, it just it comes to a head, and Swayze and Cobb get into a into an actual fight, Cobb beats him down and starts yelling at us, like, Why do you even want to go in on this mission? Why do you want to die, boy? Why do you want to do this? And that's when Hackman re- reveals that Swayze's father was a chopper pilot shot down in Vietnam and he is also missing in action. And this is also the point where they're also just trying to make because. Uh, especially in the eighties at this time where you had G I Joe on the shelves and these types of movie on the, you know, it was a way for these guys who would, these characters who had actually been in Vietnam to say war is in the game. Right. It is, it is hell over there, kid. This isn't something, you know, you may be all gung ho now, but this isn't something you really want. But when they find out that his dad is missing in, in Vietnam, that's when they finally accept him into their
1: into their unit right they understand that he is ultimately there for the exact same reason yes and
0: that you know he is sincere and that he's going to do everything he can to complete
1: this mission right because he even mentions like he he says literally like you know i'm not you know i've never been in combat so yeah you know i can't prove myself but you can't say that uh, i'm going to fail as well for the, pretty much the same reason.
0: No, yeah, he's um, going to put everything he has into doing this.
1: But it's not revealed until, you know, after some after have you after you pointed out much antagonism and that's one of the like, you know, that's that's pretty much apart from the core for pacing for a movie like that could have been revealed like a while ago. <laughs> but hey, you know.
0: Well, but you know it is an interesting reveal and it is interesting. Yeah, it's well, it's, it first... it's
1: exactly. It's ultimately a well-done reveal like even if it is you know, you, you, you know, um, I, it
0: puts the audience in their same position because at
1: first you don't quite like Patrick Swayze either. Well, he's a hardo, yeah, which they don't. I mean, it's like that's the thing that one of the it's a, uh, it's like they, they kind of, they, they kind of go, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like basically they have him so hard, but I guess the, it's basically he, you know, that's, that's his way of making sure the mission succeeds is like, is through, um, pure discipline which i don't know maybe there's a message there um maybe it's an underlying message there in general he is also technically their drill instructor and that's what they're famous for this is true this is true he Uh, is trying to get them back into shape and and as you pointed out you know they go through all this effort they 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 have the helicopters they build the whole thing in texas um they 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 have uniforms and practice and fatigues but yet they're all wearing white sneakers
0: that is very odd. is odd.
1: Just, <laughs> it
0: it just looks wrong. It I really don't know. does. It
1: stands way out.
0: I, I'm sure it was, you know, just a production thing, but they really should have been training in combat boots, keeping their feet dry, yeah. because they're standing in this wet slop in these sneakers, and all you gotta think is, their feet must be soaking wet. Sure. And if you're training for combat, you want dry feet. And they're bright white sneakers, too, so they really stand out. Yeah. Yeah, and again, this is, you know, they're not like they're in enemy territory. No, no, it, no. It's just weird. It is a very odd... I, I would actually say it is a production mistake.
1: I would I would agree. Yeah, I think somebody... I think they just forgot should, to get combat boots.
0: <laughs> somebody somewhere should have pointed that out. Right. Uh, this is, you know, the, this movie has, at least in structure, uh, some similarity to The Dirty Dozen, where, like, the front, front half of the movie is the training... And us meeting the characters and learning about the characters before they go on the mission. And it's very well done because everybody has a really good character. Right. Each one of these people, have, individual, has their own little... They're all dealing with something. You can all tell they're all carrying a weight on you're, their shoulders.
1: You're rooting Even, for all of them. Yes. yes. You're rooting for all of them. Unlike Dirty Dozen where like you... You know, depending, depending on the time of the movie, you could go either way with Franco and probably, hopefully, hate Maggot. Um, you like everybody in this, you know. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I really like the whole training sequence of this.
0: Well, and also because Harold Sylvester and Tim Thomason characters are, quote, new to the team. hmm you know they that's the best way to give exposition about some of these characters like yeah. how they describe they the reason we learn about sailor is because they're telling the two the new guys like oh what's sailor's deal well here's sailor's deal and yeah everybody's got everybody's like like you said they're all likable exactly. you can all you can identify with all of them.
1: You feel for yeah. You feel for all of them. You want them. You truly do want them all to survive. There's no like an annoying character, or at least not on purpose. Like no one's no one's written specifically for you to be against them.
0: And well, and you know, you know, you just also want them to win for themselves as well, right? Because even though, like we said, Blaster, played by Reb Brown, is seems to be dealing with with everything okay. He seems to have gotten past it. Well, obviously there is more to it than that.
1: They also kind of like, I I mean, I guess it depends on how you read into it. But like, for all we know, he's like, um, like, he seems to be an adrenaline junkie. We could we'll say yes oh, and, and I don't know exactly like if that's coming to a point where he's trying to figure out a way to kill himself or not <laughs> you know <laughs> like you don't really know what's going on behind those eyes like it's it's especially since especially since how how everybody else seemed to have turned out even even Gene Hackman like you can f- you feel he's carrying the weight of his son but he was also a a, a Korean war vet so he's yeah, he's yeah. likely still dealing with his own stuff yeah
0: he shares a story about his um, experience at the uh, Incheon Reservoir.
1: Right. Like, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but the the way you read Blaster's character could be like, oh, you know, he's he's really into this, or it's like a cry for help in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's compensating. Like yeah. Right. Like and and yeah, it's there's almost he in particular. Um, he in particular, I thought was interesting, just for that reason, because at first you think, okay, this is '80s. He's written, he's '80s. He's blonde, he's muscular, he's red he's brown. California dude. He's California dude. Like I've seen enough red brown movies. Like that's that's how I saw it at first. But then the more you think about it, it's just like I wonder. I don't know. It, it, it could take a different tone, I guess. Yeah, and generally, like, the- he, like he's he's like it's like an act, you know. <laughs>
0: Because well, one of the cool things about all these training montages, you get to see each individual's specialty.
1: Yes. And like his, it. His, his being the, arguably the most entertaining because I do like his speech and um, his. Um, I don't know if this is his whole thing is even plausible, but nonetheless, it works out and has a fun payoff. But his whole like, what is it? Chain, his whole well, chain demonstration is chain explosion demonstration. Yes. I he rather enjoyed that.
0: Talks about how he'll take out an entire, you know, platoon by booby column, trapping yeah. a, 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 a trail by not only booby trapping the trail, but he says, like, you know, if you, you look at this trail and as, this is where they'll come marching up. And that's where you set off the first explosion. So the people that survived that explosion go diving here and here. And that's where you've set off, you know, explosives two and three that blows up those guys. Well, now the people who think they've survived who've survived that get back on the road and try to escape. And that's where you set up these explosions. and he he sets up a like, you know, a chain reaction of six explosions that will wipe out the whole unit.
1: I I mean, I thought he I don't know. I thought he pulled off that scene which might have gone really poorly. I thought the, I thought he pulled that off really well. He's thought,
0: obviously I, having whether it's Blaster having a fun time doing it or Reb Brown having a fun time doing it.
1: Yeah. The the it, sort of manic way that he play, I don't know. To me, there there feels like layers there or, or or I'm thinking too deeply about it. But either way, it was a it was a it was a fun scene. I, I I thought that was really interesting how he you know. I like the sequence where
0: the squad is trying to get through a specific area. And it's Fred Ward is, high, you know, moving around, taking them all out one by one. Yes. You know, by hanging signs over their heads that say, you know, you're dead. That was a lot of fun. Bye-bye, you know, and, and demonstrating his skill as, you know, a commando.
1: Yes. I, I also like the part where um... – you know, it's it's relatively early on in their training and, you know, they're all sleeping and Gene Hackman comes in, throws, like, a fake grenade and then fires off the gun. It's like, oh, you're all dead. And then it turns out, like, you know, Fred Ward was there waiting yeah. the whole time to sneak up and kill him and it's like... Not
0: all of us, Colonel.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you could have done that, like, 30 seconds before all of this.
0: And, you know, like, during one of the, uh, you know, training exercises where they're you know, doing a live fire exercise and targets are popping up. Yes. You know, Sailor shoots one of the prisoners and uh, Patrick Swayze is like, good job, Sailor. You just killed one of the POWs. And Sailor just says, without skipping a beat, he was a collaborator.
1: That elicited a good laugh from me and uh,
0: and the rest of the crew, apparently. And, tail- again, during another one of those, like, while they're blowing, you know, trying to, you know, simulate the busting the prisoners out of their, out of their cells, you know. Some of them are using little bits of explosives to blow the padlocks off. Others shooting the padlocks off. Sailor's running around with the chainsaw. I loved that. Off, chainsawing down the doors. And then, oh, here comes the V.C. guard. He runs over and just cuts the thing's head off with the chainsaw. You know, it just keeps right on going.
1: Unfortunately, we don't actually get to see that, but I totally love that.
0: That would have been you that would have been cool like,
1: to actually see in action is them just blitzing through, you know, chainsaw and doors open, hopefully hoping that there's no, like, POW behind them.
0: Yeah, a promise unfulfilled, unfortunately. Yeah, it
1: really is. Because you do get the, oh, man, I'm going to see this later in the movie. You don't. It doesn't really pay off, but it's still pretty cool to see.
0: So after all their training and, um, you know, they're ready to go, but we find out that the CIA, or at least some agency, has been spying. Has had had Robert Stack's phones tapped, and they've been spying on him this whole time. They know what they're up to. So, and they they keep putting pressure on Robert Stack's character to call it off. You know, you're gonna, you know, all the negotiations the government is doing, and Stax is like, "What negotiations? We've been negotiating for ten years and we've gotten nowhere." You know, I want my son home. You know, and I, you know, that I believe he's still over there and still alive. So, Stack, on their final night before heading out, gives them all a hefty per diem. Which, at first, they're kind of reluctant to take. But even Gene Hackman's like, take it. Take it. He's rich. He can afford it. You know? Yeah. This is, you know, you guys didn't sign on to get paid. But you deserve to be paid. Sure. Because even at the beginning of the movie, when, you know, he's trying to get Tim Thomerson to come along. Tim Thomason's wife says, well, how much will he get paid to go? And, he, and, and Hackman says nothing in dollars. Right. Cause but, he can't,
1: he can't guarantee anything, but right. uh, no, I mean, yeah. Like, no, they're not doing it for the money, but nonetheless, this is like weeks of time. Like they gotta have, they have bills. Well, maybe not, you know, uh, maybe not sailor, but the rest of them have bills.
0: Yeah. And you know, and he goes also like, you know, you're going to be in, uh, Bangkok for you know some time so you know have some fun while you're there too
1: yes which apparently sailor does
0: yes because when they get over there and they try to make their contact with their arms dealer they find themselves surrounded by the police and American you know CIA agents saying you know what sorry colonel we were on to you you know your weapons are being confiscated and I was sent over here to make sure you go to a Bangkok jail But the guy pauses, like, I don't want to put you in jail, Colonel. Just go home. Just get on a plane and go home. Don't even go back to your hotel room because there's other agents waiting for you there. And you will be arrested and put in jail. So, you know, I just want to, you know, I I don't, I understand what you're doing. But I can't allow it to happen. So they take their weapons and now they're left without what they were, you know, hoping to have to conduct their rescue mission. So it cuts back to them discussing that, you know what? Chaplin says, I'm not giving up. I've come this far. You guys have gone as far as you've been obligated to go. So if you guys want to go home and now that's fine. And of course, none of them turned back, but they start wondering, well, what are we going to do? And, you know, uh, Harold Sylvester and, and, um, Gene Hackman do have contacts. Gene Hackman through his years of looking for his son has made friends with a a, uh, a drug Lord who, you know, moves narcotics in and out of that area where his son is being held all the time. So it's like, we're going to make, try to make contact with them and like, well, what are we going to use for money? And that's when Fred Ward says, we got money, the money, you know, Robert Stack gave us to have a good time. Everybody ante up. Everybody, you know, put your money in. That's what we're going to use. And Sailor starts putting his money in. They're like, come on, Sailor, all of it. Man, that is all of it. And they're like, what what do you mean? What have you been doing? Seeing the sights. And you know what? Can you really blame them?
1: No, exactly. I mean, that's what they gave them the money for. That's what they gave them Um, the money
0: for. And for all they know, they're all going to on a a mission where they're all going to be killed.
1: On a suicide mission, exactly. And Sailor's going to Sailor. I'm, I mean, they should be surprised he's there, standing amongst them, with yeah. any money left. But again,
0: Sailor no. is the one I think more than anybody needed to do this mission. Well, exactly. And it's I would say even Basically. more than even more than Gene Hackman, whose son, is, his own son, is on the stake. I think right. Sailor needs this to exercise his demons.
1: Right, right. Like, well, he said as much, and, and and essentially, you know, earlier on when when Hackman is there and he's like, you know, he's begging him to take him on the mission. You know, he's even saying like, look, I, you know, I know, I know what it seems like, but I can get it together for this. And he is, and and kind of proved it right there. I mean, he went out, spent his money, had a good time, and it's not like he's sitting there like hungover with a no. like needle sticking out of him or like you know with a bottle of wine. Like, no, he's he's there. He's bright and early. He did whatever he did. <laughs> And now he's and back. He's
0: ready and raring to go. Yeah. So they make contact with...
1: Um, I love this guy. Um, Straight out of a Bond movie.
0: Well, well, not him yet. Because oh, oh first yeah. It's, it's the, the drug lord who we find out has been overthrown yes. in the last few years. And somebody else has taken over his, I, his um, uh, empire. But and they're I, able to locate him, and he says, says, you know I I have nothing, you know, it's my sons have been killed, I have nothing, but I will still personally take you into that area to find your son.
1: What I like about that, too, is that I don't know how it works there, um, but they must he must have some respect still. Like, he has nothing as he says, but he has to have... He must command some respect still because he's a deposed drug lord with nothing. Why is he still alive?
0: Maybe because the new drug lords don't find him
1: a threat. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, because it was just kind of funny. It's like, yeah, he's not the new drug lord. There's like a new guy now. You can go find him at the bar. And he's just there. Yeah. <laughs> like, usually it's like they disappear. They're dead, you know, trapped up in a river. And it's interesting. He's still alive. And did you know... Uh, that is, uh, the same guy who plays, um, uh, Lieutenant Tanaka on Magnum P.I. No, I did not. Yeah. 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 Interesting. K- uh, Kwan, he Lim.
0: So while they're at this restaurant, a, you know, the, the owner comes up and starts offering the menus Love this and guy. Gene Hackman's like, no, we don't have time to eat. We need to get moving. We need to get weapons. We need to get a. Sir, I think you will find our cuisine to be exactly what you're looking for. And he opens the menu to the back, and you see all these, you know, guns and like, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, f- everything you see on, you know, there. That's that's about five thousand dollars. And Hackman's like, uh, that's a little pricey for us. And then he turns like the Well, this is three thousand dollars. Right,
1: he goes down as he's flipping pages. And then
0: he, he flips over the page, and you see like tanks and helicopters, combat helicopters yeah. and you know missile systems and he says these require 24 hour notice weird I'm like, you can deliver the stuff within 24 hours that's still pretty damn impressive
1: weird weird but nonetheless welcome breaks in comedy in this movie like they don't feel out of place no even though no. they probably are given like the subject matter and how heaviness the heavy the movie ultimately it's, is it's, it's it's a little strange but it's also welcome like I don't, they don't feel like they don't take away from the movie but I could understand how they might
0: it's not slapstick and it's not. No, place.
1: no. But the French guy is amazing. The um, the arms dealer with the parrot or whatever yeah. that is, cockatoo or macaw, whatever it is on the shoulder. Um, oh, I, I love that guy. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot his name. He was nearly my uh, winner, but
0: So he takes them down, you know, to, a, you know, a warehouse somewhere. And he says, well, here's the bargain basement. And Sailor picks up a big case of beer. How much for the beer? Compliments of the house. Yeah, he's scoring and... them free beer. And he brings them in, and he shows them this cache of weapons, which is what well, I'm assuming it's World War II surplus.
1: World War II, yeah, yeah.
0: VARS and Tommy, and they're mostly in deplorable condition. But he offers them the whole lot, and they still negotiate. But they get this whole lot of of explosives and and guns and ammunition for four thousand dollars. And the next, we get this montage of them. Going through and scrapping what's no good and piecing together yep. what is good, so that they all end up, you know, with you know, they're carrying some of them carrying Tommy guns, some of them have M1 Garands. Um, there's every, a BAR and a recoilless rifle.
1: Every so often, they do throw in like a little detail. Um, like one of the details I enjoyed that's very brief and at first i wasn't entirely sure what he was doing but there's a scene during the training montage where they caught up with gene hackman and he's in his office or something and um he's tracing over photos and i didn't realize at first what he was doing and then i quick then i finally realized what he's doing is he's tracing over photos of the pow's um so he can like add in like aging effects to show people what they look like now which i thought was a cool little detail
0: He's trying to get an idea of what his son and what the others might look like now. Um, But yeah, and then as they're piecing the weapons together, what, what this movie does, which is very rare to see, it shows how a sniper team works, a spotter and a shooter. And as they're trying to get these weapons into, you know, full working order, you know, Hackman's firing off one of the M1s and... Swayze spotting through the the binoculars, you know, high into the right, high into the right, high into the right. You see them make the adjustments and then fire again. That's like direct hit, direct hit, direct hit. It shows them, you know, ranging in these weapons.
1: Well, right. It's especially important because none of them have scopes. So, no, you uh, know, someone spotting for him is extremely important and adds some level of realism to the movie. Like, how is he making these shots in a jungle from really far away? And he, well, he's got someone helping him. Because the only, the only thing that they have to, for any sort of help in that regard is binoculars, which obviously Swayze has. And then, you know, it also took me a while to notice, like, why are they constantly holding the recoilless rifle that way? And then I realized, oh, they're using it for the scope. It's the only other scope they have.
0: So this is where we meet our final two members of this expedition—the daughters of the drug lord. His sons have all been killed, and now the only other two guys he can get to come are his two daughters.
1: Yeah, he mentioned. I guess. uh, Yeah, like, uh, did you already mention how the how the sons were killed?
0: Basically, doing the drug trade killed by you
1: know,
0: yeah. So now they are off to their mission and the as they're going, you know great some great jungle scenery, you know, the march through the jungle, you know, hacking down trails to keep going, at some point, they come to what is obviously a destroyed village, and not only are they're just bones piled animal bones, human bones, yep. all the vegetation is dead, yes, like something like extremely toxic happened here and uh when they asked you know the guy like he go he starts he says something and harold sylvester says oh it was a what did he say oh it was a place in
1: Ypres. France, ypres.
0: yeah the very first place the german jews mustard gas
1: yeah he was he was uh he was calling out ypres i remember which um I mean, at least to the movie anyway, is how they would refer to it. I guess it makes sense, giving French um, colonialization. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if that was something that the movie made up or if, if it's actually how it's referred, because that's an interesting detail as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, it is, you know. It's kind of scary. Yeah. You know, it's a very creepy place, not just with the bones <laughs> piled up, but just how <laughs> dead. It, For half a second, to-
1: you think you're in a zombie movie. For half a second, you're like, "What movie am I in?"
0: Everything leading up to here, they've been gone through this lush green jungle, and then they get to this place that is literally everything. Every single thing
1: is dead. Right, right. It's an it's an especially creepy way to start the war part of the movie. Yeah,
0: and we get an action sequence here
1: where they get
0: found by a patrol and. First, they're trying to bluff their way through, but they have to fight their way out. And during the combat, one of um, the daughters is killed. And you know, while everybody is obviously very upset, the other daughter is crying, and you know, the father is obviously upset. We we got to keep moving because there's going to be another patrol, and we have a schedule to keep. And the the guy say no more we'll keep going and they get to a point because now the plan is they need helicopters and they know again from aerial uh, photography there is a base nearby that has old American helicopters that were left behind uh, after the Vietnam War that the local militias are using and the teams are going to split up Patrick Swayze, Rep Brown, Fred Ward, and who did you say the actor's name was?
1: Are you, are you talking about uh, the, Jang?
0: The guide, yeah.
1: Yeah, Jang. Uh, oh, Kwan uh, uh, He Lim.
0: Kwan He Lim.
1: They're
0: going to go off to the prison compound to prepare and scout things out. And the rest of the team are going to go
1: find this base and steal the helicopters. What do you suppose, like at at this point, speaking of Jang, do you suppose his motivation, and I guess his daughter's motivation at this point is to stick around is revenge, loyalty, valor, all of the above? Because technically he's just a guide. Like his his real motivation was just to get them along because that's what he was getting paid to do. Um, You know, it was a job, and obviously they had some reason to, help them a little bit beyond that because they get to screw over the the local establishment that they're not fans of anyway
0: yes i want to say loyalty to um gene hackman because there's obviously some sort of
1: they know each other more than this movie is telling us
0: right well the impression i get we know that through his years of searching for his son he was making contacts in the illegal drug trade because who better to go in and out of you know sure you know, a country. So I think, you know, maybe they'd become friends right? somewhat. At right. least there was a respect between them.
1: Right, right. Like, I, I mean, they, I imagine after the daughter gets killed, you know, now a third child, uh, it's it's probably revenge. Uh, or I, I, I imagine that's part of it. But yeah, it, I thought, I always thought it was interesting that he stays with them, that, you know, they stay when they don't really need to.
0: It may be revenge for his sons as well. Yeah. And like he says, he's got nothing. So he's got nothing to lose either. True. So they head off to the compound, the four of them. And when at first they get there, they, they, up from a, you know, a, a hilltop, they're scanning the, the prison camp, but they don't see anybody there. And, you know, the guide mentions that, oh, the, the rice down there has been harvested. Maybe they've been moved on. So. Reb Brown and Fred Ward actually start move in to get a closer look, because Reb Brown also has to part of his job in this mission is to blow up a bridge over the river that will prevent any reinforcements from helping secure the prison camp when they're getting the prisoners out. Um, they find a, a a tunnel that probably leads into the prison camp, like a drainage tunnel. And Fred Ward has to get once again deal with his demons and his his claustrophobia, but he's he determined he moves into that tunnel and goes in to um, you know get a look at the compound, and again he doesn't see anybody there. But then after he finds a prisoner in one of the cells,
1: now, now not that I would want to do it, and it makes what he does any less you know daring. At least this is like a corrugated steel tube that's relatively large that he's going through.
0: Yeah, but when you have that amount of fear, it probably oh for sure. Like I mean, I wouldn't want to do a, it. I
1: wouldn't want to even come close to doing a it. A power it, it, tube,
0: you know?
1: Right. But at least so, you has sl- got to be somewhat less concerned about cave-in, You hope, but you know, is that thing going to flood any second now? Because it's obviously a drainage tube. God well, knows what's in it. <laughs>
0: He's doing that. Reb Brown is preparing the bridge, you know, with the explosives, and they're doing everything that they got to do. And that's when they see that the prisoners are being marched in. It's like, oh, they've been, they were marched to the other side of the river for whatever labor they're having to do. Cut back to Gene Hackman's team, and we get their little commando raid on the helicopter base. And, you know, we get another neat little action sequence where they have to steal these three helicopters while under fire. And again, you see a shooter spotter team where they're under fire and Hackman, you know, is firing back and using the binoculars. It's like you're two yards to the left and to the left. And then Hackman zeroes in and takes the guy out. They managed to steal their three helicopters. Harold Sylvester's piloting one, Tim Thomason's piloting one, and Gene Hackman's piloting one. Um, Sailor is operating machine gun in Gene Hackman's copter, and the other daughter who went with them is um, riding Gunner in the... Uh, Harold Sylvester's helicopter. So they've got the choppers and they're flying to make the acquaint- the the rendezvous because they've gotten the message from the team at the prison camp that they have found, they have had eyes on at least one American POW. So everything's in place. And they're ready to go, but the helicopters are behind schedule. And the team at the prison camp see that the soldiers are getting ready to march the prisoners out again. And they know if they get those prisoners across the bridge out of the camp, the whole mission's off. You know, it's not going to be able to go down. So Blaster takes it upon him, you know, and it's the right decision. He starts right. setting the charges off the bridge off early because he can't let them cross that bridge. A combat erupts, you know. Patrol boats coming in. I mean, this is a this is the big spectacular action finale you're waiting for in this you know '80s action movie.
1: Right. This is the set piece. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, this is
1: the final set piece.
0: Gun. Um, Patrick Swayze is basically up in a sniper position up on the hill with the guide, who is also firing the recoilless rifle down, blowing up Jeeps. Uh, they hit a patrol boat. Um, you know, the, everything's, you know, just try to keep this, the, the, the prisoners in place. And that's when the helicopters arrive just a few minutes late and the rescue is on. Sailor not Sailor, Blaster is the first of the team to um, go, well, I guess I've already spoiled it. Yeah. But Blaster ends up sacrificing himself to take out the bridge because the, you know, the uh, World War Two explosives didn't go off the way they were supposed to.
1: Well, some of them did, just not enough.
0: Yes. And he is very excited because he broke his record of You know, chain together explosive kills.
1: Yes, his his whole plan of like guiding, yeah, guiding this like column into these different explosions based on predicting which way they'll try to escape works off to the count of like, I don't know, eight or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he sacrifices himself to take out the bridge. Yeah. He goes out in a blaze of glory.
1: Well, he figures he probably can't top that, right?
0: Right. But he also. You know, he, he he knows it's an all-or-nothing mission.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Well, like, again, I mean, based on – to me, like, it's that end in particular that makes me wonder about his mannerisms through, you know, through, um, when, when you see him before. Well, like, is there more there than we think?
0: Don't forget, he'd also been shot and wounded.
1: Yes. He was He was crawling across
0: that bridge by the end.
1: Oh, yeah, because he had to – right, exactly. He was getting he, – he was taking fire the whole time. Um, crawling out to the middle of the bridge to be sure that he could get it into the right spot. So he was, yeah, he was entirely exposed. So, I mean, it's entirely possible he was mortally wounded and we didn't know it. Meanwhile, Swayze's up on the hill,
0: you know, providing as much cover fire as he can. And that's when he realizes, he turns back and he realizes that the, you know, their guide has been killed too. He had taken a bullet. Charts's is, uh, Tim Thomas's helicopter is shot down and this is kind of the only... And I don't know whether it was just...
1: Weird editing yeah. or... Yeah. It's
0: the only thing that feels kind of a cheat. Because you see the helicopter go down in flames, crash and explode. And then it cuts to Tim Thomason swimming in the river where the chopper went down. And it really... They don't show him bailing out. and Not at all. He couldn't have possibly survived the crash.
1: And... And the way you find out, because it's like immediately you find out, oh, he's fine. Right. And the way he's put into the rest of the movie doesn't lead you to believe that, oh, well, you know, audience tests suggested we keep him alive. It was just, I, I my, my guess is that it was just weirdly edited. I and maybe what... whatever stunt was supposed to show him jumping out just didn't happen.
0: Right. I think the helicopter blew up more spectacularly than they were planning on. Right. Like and it was just too cool of a shot to not use,
1: maybe. Yeah. But
0: it, it wasn't. It was in no way a way to trick us into thinking no. he'd been killed because they immediately do show like, no, he's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not like, oh, you see him right before the credits or anything like that. It's just, yeah, it's it's right. interesting. He doesn't show up at
0: the end like, oh my god, we're trapped. We're, oh, it's he's him. still yeah. alive and he rescued. You no, know, it wasn't. It's not one of those those cheap little crap clap trap moments, um, but. It's, it's I thought it fix. would be.
1: I really did. When you see it, it's like, oh, okay, well, he's, you know, uh, well, well, I guess we'll not know. Well, at first I just assumed he was dead, right? right? Because, Because with Blaster, it's not like you see some, like, long, dead, he closes his eyes, swelling music. It's he throws the thing, the bridge blows up. You just assume he's dead. So you rightfully cool. assume the helicopter you see crashing and exploding moments later is, okay, well, they're definitely dead. But no, okay. immediately he just, you know, pops out of the water. Not only do
0: you assume he's dead because Blaster's dead because he's at the center of the explosion, but also Patrick Swayze yells from the hill, Blaster! Well,
1: yes. Yes. Way to give you precision.
0: So they've lost a helicopter and uh, Tim Thomas is also kind of cut off. He's in a bad position where he goes down.
1: Yeah, he's like in the middle of the river.
0: Uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Sailor are flying around basically providing air cover fire while Harold Sylvester lands his copter and um, Fred Ward is starting to search for the cells for the prisoners. Gene Hackman's helicopter is hit, but not after you know they take they've done a lot of damage. you know, they've taken out guard towers. And as the helicopter is going down, Hackman's like, and I'm going to take out this tower while we're going down. So he actually lands, you know, crash lands the helicopter on top of the tower. He and Sailor get out. okay, And they start looking for POWs as well. And it's it's kind of rough because at one point, you know, Gene Hackman's running around calling for his son, Frank. And he himself misses right behind him an American POW wandering confused through all the chaos. Um, Fred Ward finds a guy and he's like, come on, we're going to go. We're, I'm getting you up. We're going home. And the guy's like, home? Home for real? Home? It, it, it's, it's, these guys are
1: broken. Yeah, well, It is
0: extremely emotional.
1: One is only speaking Vietnamese,
0: right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, The one the one um, sailor finds is cowering in his cell, you know, terrified speaking only in
1: in Vietnamese. There's one scene that at first, like it it gives me an uneasy chuckle just based on like, you know, when you're thinking about the optics of it from a distance, but it's also, that must've been a hell of a surreal moment, you know, should it really happen? And this is going back a bit before all the chaos. uh, When Fred Ward is um, skulking around the camp, like after he's gone through the tube tunnel, rather, and at one, like, he's skulking around the camp, and at one point, like, he pops up to look through a window and comes face-to-face with a POW. And the POW, like, is obviously surprised, <laughs> um, uh, closes his eyes as if to wonder if he's dreaming, you figure. And then by the time he's reopened his eyes, Fred Ward is gone.
0: Yeah, because he couldn't give away the fact that they were there.
1: Right, right. And at first, you you kind of chuckle because it's like, oh, yeah, haha, you must have. And then he just realized, man, that must be a terrifying thought going through his mind right now? Like, am I now cracking like, you know, or do, do you, do you think you see this all the time? It's, 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 it was a, I don't know. It's something that's still stuck with me.
0: So chaos abounds. Uh, Patrick Swayze, you know, leaves his position to go try to get charts. Who's injured. I uh, keep, Ch- charges the character's name. Tim, Tim Thomerson, yep. is the, the, the actor's name. They meet up, but they're kind of pinned down in their position. Sailor Fred War and Fred Ward and Gene Hackman all get one of the prisoners to Harold Sylvester's chopper. And we also got to point out that the last remaining guy, the daughter, who is now the last living member of her family, is bravely still contributing to the fight. Yeah, yeah, she's still there, giving just as as much as everybody else.
1: Not only that, but she's even like. And I didn't even think of this, but she's, like, securing when, – when they're in the helicopter, she's, like, securing all of the POWs and, like, their yes. seatbelts and stuff so they don't fall out of this damn thing because yeah, they're right. still, like, probably still wondering if what's even happening is real. You know? Yeah, she's, like – she's she's entirely in. She's awesome.
0: Now, they got those three POWs, and they had confirmed that there were four. And Gene Hackman's, like, where's the other American? Where's the other – you know, all the cells are empty. And one of the POWs is like, oh, the, the, he's in the pit. It's on, you know, go there. They put him in the pit. And Gene Hackman goes back because he's thinking, it's got to be my son, Frank. Sailor goes with him to provide, you know, cover for him. He gets to the pit, opens it up, and it's Robert Stack's son. So Hackman now realizes he's not going to find his son there. But he gets Robert Stack's son out, and Sailor is wounded. And seemingly, at first, you think he's killed, covering for uh, Hackman to get the last POW out. And he is killed when he gives his last effort. He pulls that grenade he'd been wearing around his neck and dives into a platoon of, so- of soldiers and blows them all up. Uh, they managed to take off. They rescue Patrick Swayze and Tim Thomas under fire and they make their escape and nobody's unscathed because now, you know, three people have, you know, gave their lives to get these guys out. Um, Fred Ward, now the last of the original team. Uh, Gene Hackman the son of Robert Stack explains to Gene Hackman that his son actually got sick and died several years ago. Now, a lot of people, you know, you can say that at least he has closure. You know, he no longer has to look for his son. But I don't think he gets any comfort in it. No, no. The last daughter, of course, is, and, you know, this is where... Because from here, it basically cuts to them home and celebrating the return of the soldiers they rescued. And obviously, Fred Ward is able to reunite his wife. Uh, Harold Sylvester and Tim Thomason have exercised some of their demons, you know, by going back and rescuing some of these POWs. Even more so for Tim Thomason, if he was that pilot that originally had to take off. And I don't right. have any judgment against that pilot. No. If he did not taken off, everybody would have died. Right, exactly total loss and you see gene hackman and, you know obviously robert stack is elated to have the son back home and gene hackman's home reunited with his wife and they do have the closure but i would have liked to have known a little bit more about that last daughter yeah they show that she gets into her she she and tim thomerson get into a romantic relationship so i would like to assume that it did end with her going home with him
1: Right, like it works out, yeah. Um, and
0: Somehow. there's no reason to believe it doesn't. Why not? But I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more of an epilogue. Yeah. But otherwise, this is just a fantastic, dramatic action movie with a fantastic cast. It's almost a little because you would almost think that, because this is technically, you know, a Vietnam
1: exploitation action
0: movie. It's a little odd that you know somebody you know like Gene Hackman would be the star of this movie.
1: It is, yeah, it is. It it does seem so anyway. Yeah, it does seem out of place. You don't expect him to be holding uh, a gun, you know.
0: Well, I mean, Popeye Doyle.
1: Well, no, I, but I mean, you know, like in in a jungle, like in a war, in a war. No,
0: no. Well, especially not at the, that that time. Maybe more no. in the seventies. Maybe a few years earlier, but,
1: um,
0: yeah, uh, but. It, you know it's
1: probably... especially like especially an exploitation one i mean this does you know this does aim for some sincerity as as yes. most war films at least through many tropes and clichés and this is you know guilty of several of them uh, but they're well done you know i you know what I mean? like this what i like about this movie is it hits all the notes it hit, it does hit all the notes that you expect when you come to watch a movie like this and it hits them well it treats them and it treats it all with respect
0: it's more realistic yeah. Than, you know, both either Rambo first blood part two or missing in action.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I, and, the, uh, the, the D de- and the, there's there's a lot of like there, there's a lot of details, a lot of little details that that, that are very welcome to it. Not it, to mention the humor, because um, some of those can be, you know, very dour, which is given the you know, <laughs> given the given the, uh, the, the subject matter, that's understandable. But, you know, again, if I'm looking for entertainment like, you know, I, I do appreciate it.
0: It's also the best acting of all of them,
1: too. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, At least from top to it. bottom, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And it's a hell of a story that is apparently was originally written by Wings Hauser. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole convoluted mess as to why he doesn't get full credit. But he is credited at the very, at the end of the movie during the credits, but... Not to the extent that he apparently should be, but again, I I can only go by what I read on certain websites. So I, I, you know, obviously he did do it. He's credited in the movie, but... Yeah,
1: he gets a producer credit.
0: um, He apparently wrote the story that was then modified into a screenplay by a couple other people that do get the screen credit for it. So um, highly... Highly recommend this movie if you enjoy action movies, especially of like the 70s, 80s variety,
1: right?
0: Early 80s variety, where there was, you know, um, a lot more story structure to it,
1: right? Like, I think, I, I mean, at least now that we've described it, I think, I think you kind of know what this movie is, right? And if you're into these movies, this is one of the better examples, maybe the best, especially of this like subgenre, um. Uh, but it's also not going to change your mind if you're not, or at least I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I, it it follows a lot more to some of the, um, I guess so, yeah, go ahead. World War II commando movies that were made yes. in like the '60s. Yeah, where you know put the team together, train yeah. the team for the mission, go on the mission.
1: Right, it's got that. It's got that feel in a really good way. Yeah.
0: No, um, highly recommend the movie um what recommendations did you bring i
1: mean the two big ones uh i think we already mentioned and and are kind of right there right i mean rambo which we've already covered mission in action um you already mentioned um and then just to add another similar one of around the same time uh, let's get harry
0: let's get harry yep starring uh mark harman and gary Busey and robert duvall You can almost, you know, there are almost story beat for beat. You know, in the two movies. You know, Harry has been captured by terrorists while he's working, building a dam in a a, a South American country. And his brother and friends, you know, take up arms and hire a mercenary to go after him. Um, I would also say The Dirty Dozen. And... Iron Eagle, also ha- starring Tim Thomason Oh yeah, yeah. You know, in yeah. a smaller role, but it's another one of those where the government isn't doing what you right. to do to get my dad a POW out of there. I'm going to do it myself. So, um, and we covered Iron oh, Eagle oh, yeah. and Iron Eagle Two in a single episode several years back. And so if you haven't listened to that, give that one a listen because you know it's another one of our favorite, you know, cheesy action movies. Uh, and, and we like the sequel even better than the original.
1: Now, it's fair to say this movie got overshadowed by missing an action and first blo- and uh Rambo, right But this it's not like this movie did not do well. I guess it did very well. yes. Um, it did you know it made it made you know its budget it, it made it it made its budget back and then some. I think it opened very strong, but there was something else out huge at the time, so I think it opened at like number two. Uh, but either way, like, it wasn't a flop or anything like that. It did really successful. I just think, like, well, if you're not familiar with the film, I think it's mostly because of missing an action in Rainbow.
0: Well, also in 1983, it would have been up against Return of the Jedi, which would have just been. There a you day go. Day.
1: Yeah. Return you know. of the Jedi. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, like, I think it just it kind of got. It kind of get buried, and I think part of it is because of the – cat. not that Gene Hackman's any slouch, of course, but, again, you know, it was coming up against what would be the, the, the superstars of the time.
0: Yeah, Fred Ward would become more popular. Uh Red Brown – this is probably Red Brown's most mainstream movie. Yeah. You know, he starred in a lot of, you know, low-budget action movies, and, you know, I'll always remember him as 1970s Captain America. Yep. Uh, this is probably his biggest, most mainstream movie. And he's really good in it, too. Like, you get to see he, him play he, a
1: sincere role, you know? Yeah. not like, he
0: only goes full Red Brown twice. Yeah. And and it's fun. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, it works. Yeah, no, his character totally works. Uh, he, he's he's great in this. I mean, I love um, Red, Red Brown. You know that. We're, we're, we're fans. But mostly we're talking about some pretty iffy movies that he's in, and he's usually the best yeah. part of. Whereas yeah. in this, he can just be a good actor. You know? <laughs> Just to prove Merc- that it's that it, that it's there.
0: Mercenary fighters is a fun, yeah. you know, mercenary movie with him and uh, Peter Fonda. That you was know? really fun. Yeah, cool movie. Um, any other recommendations?
1: Um, uh, well, just one that that comes to mind because um, I happened to scan my eyes across it. Uh, which I think we've mentioned before. Maybe it was in Rambo, but Tears of the Sun. Tears of the Sun is a good one, yeah. And with with
0: Kohlhauser Cole Hauser. of Wingshauser. That's right. Okay. Well, um, do you have a Magnificent Seven Degrees where we connect the movie to the Magnificent Seven?
1: Um, actually I do. It's not it's not super impressive. Um, but I mean it's 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 there. Uh, so okay, so Uh, only because I wanted to do I I wanted to go through Ed O'Neill because why not so Harold Sylvester as we mentioned before played um uh, one of Al's friends uh, the the guy uh, in co-worker at the shoe store and married with children uh with of course Ed O'Neill who was in Wayne's World um which gives me an excuse to mention Wayne's World which is a really fun movie I think it well it's it's hard to do comedies in general but it's a fun movie so I just need an excuse to see Wayne's World again um because it's been a while since I see it and seen it and I I think it'll hold up. I also feel like it's probably very much a 90s time capsule, um, which is fine for me anyway. Um, but anyway, Wayne's World includes, you'll appreciate this and you obviously know it, Alice Cooper, who is in Freddy's Dead with Yafet Kodo, who is an alien with Harry Dean Stanton, who is in Escape from New York with Kurt Russell, who is in Guns of Diablo with uh, Charles Bronson. All right. But it, it, it gave me an excuse to go through um, Ed O'Neill. Uh, mention Wayne's World which is a movie that I don't know why but it's been on my mind for a reason and um, for your sake Alice Cooper because I could
0: well I've already mentioned in previous podcasts that Gene Hackman was in Bite the Bullet with James Coburn yes I believe it was in when we covered your Hunter from the Future I brought up that Rep Brown was in the movie Death of the Soldier with James Coburn yes have so, you seen uh, that? No, I've never actually seen that. that. I I've, I've tried to find it uh, but I've never been able to find it anywhere.
1: Is that the one with the the with the serial killer soldier in Australia based, or something? Yes, yeah, Red okay.
0: Brown, a true based on a true story.
1: Yeah, I understand like um I saw I guess it was Spoonie, I think it was. Was it either Spoonie or Brad Jones, maybe both did did reviews on it and it looks compelling. I mean it's not an action movie or anything, but it looks compelling.
0: Spoony covered every Red Brown movie that he could.
1: Uh, so, yeah, it must have been him. And you said... I'm sorry, you said you didn't see it. No. Okay. Well, if we can uncover it, I'll give it a shot. Um,
0: So, I'm going to go with something else. Uh, Tim Thomerson was in the Magnificent Seven TV show. Okay. With
1: Robert Vaughn. Right on. Who was in the Magnificent Seven. Right on. Does... uh um. Robert, well, I assume he's not the same character. No, it, no, it can't be. Yeah, <laughs> All right. no, he plays the
0: um, he plays the federal judge of the territory that the and he's the one that hires the Magnificent Seven to basically be the sheriff of this, you know, frontier town that's always <laughs> seems to be getting marauded by you know some group of outlaws every week,
1: and and like the remake. But unlike the sequels, it's an entirely different seven. Like, there's yes. no continuity whatsoever. Right. It. Right. It's it's
0: basically the, 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 the two-hour movie pilot for The Magnificent Seven is basically
1: a reboot slash remake. Gotcha. But in the case of The Magnificent Seven ride and Guns of the Magnificent Seven, that is continuity from The Magnificent Seven. Those are all
0: sequels. The uh, character originally played by Yul Brenner in the first
1: movie is in all four of those movies. Okay. And ultimately, eventually by different uh, actors, right? But the, yes, but they are in all four. Yul, okay.
0: Yul Brenner returns in the first sequel to replay the character. George Kennedy takes over the role of the character in the third movie, and Lee Van Cleef plays the character in the fourth.
1: And he's the only recurring.
0: He's the only... Um, the characters played by Steve McQueen and Horst Buckolt both come back for the second movie played by different actors... Okay. But then after that it's just the, the character of Chris played by Yule Brenner. Got it. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up this episode, folks. As yeah. always, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter under Movie Matt all one word, M O V I E, M A T T S I R O I S. Uh, any you know, any questions or comments, you can ask us on ask me on Twitter and Instagram. I will Try my best to answer them for you. Uh, With that, we thank you for listening as always and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people.